0: I regret a lot of things I've done, you know? I'm just basically trying to forget about all this stuff and live what life I have left as peaceably and humbly as I can. I try to live a better life now, you know, play it forward and put good karma back in.
1: This is Warren.
0: Warren Willis, Jr. I grew up here on the east side of Youngstown. Shortly after I was born, my father came up here looking for work. Unfortunately found it here. Some might say unfortunately, yeah.
1: Warren's family moved to Youngstown in the early 70s, when the steel mills were still open, and the smoggy air was a sign of the city's prosperity. Youngstown was
0: thriving. Everybody was working. Steel mills was booming. You could see guys as young as 19-20 driving brand new cars. It was hard work, but they were doing pretty
1: good. People enjoyed life, you know? Warren and his family started out living in the housing projects on the east side. I remember growing up
0: when we were in the projects, we didn't lock our doors or nothing. Back then everybody looked out for each other. And it was like the old African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. There's a family, there's a family.
1: Warren's parents got good paying jobs, and eventually they saved enough money to buy a little house nearby. Warren was out of the projects but the projects weren't out of Warren. He would still hang out with his old friends.
0: Even though we were middle class, used to call us the little rich kids. And I'm trying to show them that even though we was fortunate, I'm just like y'all. So I kind of fell to the wayside, unfortunately. A&P, they used to have the rocks candy up there. used to weigh out. I used to just walk by, grab a whole handful. I thought I was free. Hey, Mother and father find over and tow my ass up.
1: By the time Warren was in high school, he and his gang of friends had graduated to bigger crimes. We
0: used to crash at dash, throw a brick through the window of a liquor store, grab up stuff. Used to have a case old Genesee L. We used to snatch up a couple of cases. There's a little hill up there in the wooded area, sit up there and drink beers and stuff you know, still a little fift wine, or, you know, a pack of cigarettes. I always had a good heart, you know.
1: A little wild at times. Warren's father had worked hard to get his family out of the projects, and he wasn't happy with what Warren was doing.
0: A lot of fights. Discipline was harsh at times, real harsh. My father was kind of abusive towards me at times. At times I was scared, and the scaredness turned into anger. It went from Loving him to fear, to hating him. So everything he tried to tell me positive, I kind of did the opposite.
1: At 18, Warren was doing armed robberies. He and his friends would rush into a bingo hall while the game was going on, fire a few shots into the ceiling, and yell for everyone to get on the ground.
0: Add a pillowcases, throw the money in there, even hit somebody's guess, you know, throw your wallet in there.
1: On these jobs, Warren was always the getaway driver. Your heart is pumping and racing and stuff while you're in the middle of
0: it, but I actually feel kind of bad about it at the end. It wasn't like I got a, a rush doing it, <laughs> you know. You gotta think about how it could affect your life or other people's lives. Same like I was on a self-destructive path. I just made mistakes.
1: After a few of these robberies, things went bad. One of Warren's friends got pinched and gave the police Warren's name. At 18 years old, he was arrested and did four years in prison. When Warren got out, he wandered the country for a while, going wherever he could find honest work. He tried to stay away from Youngstown and lost touch with old friends and family. But when he finally came home in the mid-90s, Youngstown had changed.
0: When the mills closed up, Everything started leaving. That just destroyed the whole city, completely. Back towards the late 90s, that's when it really started getting crazy. I tried to stay out of the way of it, but when somebody comes to you with an opportunity, you didn't actually think about it, you just thought about trying to get some money.
1: I'm Mark Smerling. This is Crooked City. Ernie Biendello, described as the Naples'
2: lieutenant. Police still link Biandello to mob boss Joey Naples, who met his violent end years ago. Ernie Biandello
3: loved me so much. He said, this may be a good kid. He's a man with balls. Within that
4: week, I was going to kill something for my hero, my Don. You pull the trigger, you're in. Ernie wasn't going to wait until Lenny passes away by natural causes.
1: So how do you take over if it's not going to happen that way? Kill him. Chapter 10. The One-Way Street. By the mid-90s, people in Youngstown had left the city in droves. Streets were lined with boarded-up buildings. Those who stayed struggled to find jobs. I came back
0: home in 95. The projects started getting a little rough. They had guys willing to work but couldn't find the work. So they did what they had to do. Trying to survive, you know.
1: Warren Willis had been away from Youngstown for a long time. And when he came back, drugs had become the city's biggest crime problem.
0: Car pull up, you see 10 to 12 young guys running to the car trying to sell the drugs. They go, no, no, no here, man, here, you know. It was rough. It was rough. When the rap come out, they steady putting all these nice things on TV. And some of the younger guys, they grow up. Not being able to have stuff, but they're trying to emulate what they see on TV. Trying to get that lifestyle, you know? The gang mentality started coming in with the, I got to get mine.
1: Drug gangs fought over turf in the same way that the Italian mafia had fought over gambling, with violence.
2: You're twice as likely to be killed in Youngstown than Cleveland, a city five times Youngstown's size. Why are so many people being murdered in Youngstown streets? Most people agree it's because of drugs.
0: I remember growing up, everybody looked out for each other. With the influx of gangs and stuff, people who were like brothers and sisters is falling out with each other because their kids is killing each other. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy.
1: With a prison record, it wasn't easy for Warren to find a job. But he managed to land a good one at a General Motors plant.
0: Living pretty good. I mean, for young anyway. <laughs> but General Motors shut down and that kept the jobs around here again, you know. It seemed like every time something started going around here good, they take it away. Like they're trying to turn it into a deserted city.
1: If he was going to survive, Warren had to make money. And there was one guy on the east side of Youngstown who always seemed to have a stack. One of Warren's old friends from the projects, a guy named Jeff Riddle.
0: i known Jeff since a little kid. He's more or less a cry
1: kid, you know. A, actually, a little crybaby, like,
0: when he's about eight, nine years old, too.
1: Jeff was 33 now, a crybaby no longer. The streets had made him tough and strong. A sharp dresser who drove a big purple truck, he had the respect of everyone in the neighborhood.
0: The women loved him. The men was always trying to be his friend, you know. A
1: very jovial personality, you know, he was
0: real likable. He had the gift to gab, talk a person out anything. Cross you in a minute, but if he cross you, he'd make it up. We started kind of hanging together, you know. Go out to the club together and stuff.
1: Riddle was into all kinds of hustles. He was a drug dealer and a card shark, and he made enemies along the way. As he and Warren became friends, Warren got in the habit of watching his back.
0: I just used to keep an eye on things, you know. While he at the bar laughing and joking and stuff, I just sit there and I watch things, you know.
1: Riddle realized that an intimidating guy like Warren could be useful. When he's in a drug game, he used me as
0: threats to people to get them to pay, you know.
1: Mostly, Warren rode around with Riddle in his purple truck, to the nightclubs, to drug deals, and to an occasional meeting with a white guy Warren didn't know.
0: Jeff used to meet him out someplace. Should i be sitting in the car, and he'd get out, I'd see him they'd go up, walk the parking lot, have the conversation.
1: Warren watched Riddle talk with this guy, a balding, unassuming-looking Jewish man in his 50s.
0: he come back, we leave. I didn't ask what they talk about. They didn't tell.
1: <laughs> what Riddle didn't tell Warren was that this little Jewish guy was the right hand for mob boss Lenny Strollo. His name was Bernie Allshuler, but he was known simply as Bernie the Jew.
0: Naples, Strollo, Bendello, around here, that's all you heard about was mob. I just heard there wasn't nothing to be playing with.
1: For years, Bernie the Jew helped run the gambling rackets for Lenny Strollo. But now in the mid-90s, there weren't many people in Youngstown with a paycheck to spend on card and dice games. Gambling profits had dried up. But Bernie was a businessman, with his finger on the pulse. He'd seen people doing coke in his clubs and smoking crack on the streets. Someone was getting rich and had cash to burn. Drug dealers. Mostly young black men. So Bernie brought Lenny Strollo an idea. They would open gambling clubs where drug dealers hung out. And Bernie knew just the guy to bring the dealers in. A flashy young black man from the east side who drove a purple truck and was blessed with the gift to gab. Jeff Riddle. So Bernie Altshuler and Jeff Riddle opened a club in Youngstown called Sharky's. Riddle brought in drug dealers who were flush with cash, and he hired Warren Willis to work the door. I was at the back door where the parking
0: lot was. Had the buzz to get in. They came in, I pat him down, run a scan around him, let him in. Loaded. They had a DJ in the dance floor in a bar here. Down in the basement was the gambler. You know, crap tables. Wow, voices, you know, guys laughing and joking, drinking, you know, talking stuff at the crap table.
1: Jeff Riddle was right at the center of it all, running the games. But the games were anything but straight.
0: You actually scamming them. Loaded the dice and all that crap.
1: <laughs> but the real scam was at the card table, where Riddle dealt a game called Three Card Monty.
0: You have three cards, two red, one black. You keep your eye on the black. And he shake them up. You gotta pick the black
1: to win the money. Guys with quick hands would try to cheat. they bend the tip of a black card to make it easier to find. But Jeff's hands were quicker.
0: Jeff was so good while he's shaking and he had to press that down and bent up the tip of a red card. <laughs> so either way he still got it.
1: Riddle was raking in the cash, but cheating had its risks. And one night, he ran into a problem with a local drug dealer.
0: Took the guy's money took the dude's another coat and shoes. The guy get mad, pulled the gun. I dove behind the bar. And I got to shoot back. I just <laughs> threw it up and got to pull the trigger, you know? Jeff got to shoot and stuff. We got the hell up out of there.
1: Aside from the occasional scrape, Jeff Riddle was making a lot of money for Bernie the Jew, who was kicking up a lot of money to the boss, Lenny Strollo and Riddle saw himself as a rising star in the mafia. He called himself the Black John Gotti. He used to always
0: say that jokingly, I'm gonna be the first black made man. He was more or less joking. He knew no black man could be no made man. He was just alluding to how close he were with them. And I am realizing that's just another way for them to get a dollar. They didn't care about you, man. It's the hustler's life period. If it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. That's why I never did try to get to know any of them. Because, you know, if it wasn't to their advantage, they didn't have no use for me.
1: In the end, the mob would have a lot of use for Warren. He just didn't know it yet.
3: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.
1: Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern day conspiracy theory from Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment. This is cover up,
3: the conspiracy tapes. Hey. Good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. thank you.
1: Ooh. Okay. When we last okay. left Mark Batcho in our story, he was hanging out with mobster Ernie Biandillo, the guy who ran Youngstown United Music. Batcho thought that Ernie would help him become a made guy in the Mafia, so he was determined to prove he was capable. But the only thing Batcho proved was that he was unstable and violent. He put a cop in a coma and murdered a club owner. It wasn't long after that that Batcho got a message.
3: Jeff Riddle was looking for you. That meant one of two things. One, he wanted to kill you, or two, he needed you for something.
1: When Riddle wasn't running gambling clubs, he was involved in Lenny Strollo's other stream of income, fixing cases for drug dealers. Strollo owned the county prosecutor, and for a fee he could make someone's charges disappear. But there was one case they were having trouble fixing. They were running out of time and needed a continuance. And to get that, they needed someone crazy enough to shoot the defense lawyer, Gary Van Brocklin. So Riddle called Bacho and met him at a restaurant.
3: He said, listen, if we don't do this, this kid's going to prison for a long time.
1: Riddle left out one important detail. Batcho would be doing this job for Lenny Strollo. Strollo was a sworn enemy of Ernie Biandillo, who was like a father to Batcho. But Batcho didn't ask any questions. He just wanted to be a good mafia soldier.
3: You're so far along in your career, you know, you don't want to take a back step. He offered me money, I accepted none. Sorry, I hate lawyers anyhow. It's not a problem. I was supposed to get a stolen car. I got a Burgundy Cadillac. Said it had 22,000 miles on The speedometer more like 2,022,000.
1: It's April Fool's Day, 1996. A stolen Cadillac pulls to the curb in downtown Youngstown. Inside are Mark Batcho, Jeff Riddle, and one of Riddle's guys, George Wilkins. Gary Van Brocklin's office couldn't have been located in a hotter spot.
3: There's the Youngstown Police Department with the Sydney jail. There's a Mahoney County Jail with all the deputy sheriffs. It's broad daylight. And I'm coming down the street. I got the best leather trench coat ever.
1: George Wilkins is walking next to Batcho, a 357 revolver tucked into a folded newspaper. Wilkins goes into Van Brocklin's office first to see if the attorney is in. And after a minute, Bacho follows. I go walking past,
3: straight toward the back. I'm looking for him left to right. Finally, Van Brocklin comes out of the back.
1: I was getting a cup of coffee in a little room we have. This is Gary Van Brocklin. Someone came in. I heard quick footsteps. And I looked up, and
3: there was someone standing there, had a large hat pulled down over his forehead. The person asked me, are you Gary Van Brock? I said, yes. He produced a handgun, put it against my left thigh, and shot I hit him in the left knee, just like I was supposed to. And I turned, and as I turned, I hear the biggest screamer.
1: Bacho tore out of the office, grabbing George Wilkins on the way. I get in the back seat,
3: George gets in the shotgun, Jeff rolls driving. As <laughs> Soon as we got in that car, scanner went, <laughs> someone shot. We're looking for 81 Burgundy Tornado. I sit up in the back seat, I said, that's El Dorado, bitch.
1: Riddle sped through the city, trying to keep a low profile. The sheriffs and his helicopters were out looking for us then. Finally, they made it to a junkyard where Batcho worked.
3: We just flew down the driveway, into the back, needed a place to hide the car, so we pulled it under to the canopy.
1: At that time, tensions between Strollo and Viandillo were high. But that didn't mean things were uncivil. Strollo still gave everyone their fair cut of the rackets, and every once in a while, the crews would get together. And that's how it was one night when they all went to a birthday party for Bernie the Jew's wife.
4: We were all at that birthday party.
1: Artie Saramelli from Youngstown United Music remembers that that night, Ernie Biandillo was drunk and loud.
4: Ernie was drinking that wine you couldn't keep Ernie quiet. I mean, Ernie wanted to get
1: him. At this crowded party, with every mobster in town within earshot, Ernie was talking about Lenny. And he was talking loud enough for Lenny to hear.
3: Lenny was there and some big guy from Pittsburgh was there. Mark Batcho heard about what happened later. He got pig-drunk and ran his mouth
1: and made the claims that, ah, he's not the boss. The room got quiet. And a Pittsburgh honcho Lenny was with stepped forward. His name was Henry Zetola. Everybody knew him as Zeebo.
4: And Zeebo turned around and told Ernie, he said, he is the boss, Ernie. You will follow the rules. There is no way Ernie was ever gonna fall in line with Lenny. I don't care if they offered him everything. Never, ever would have happened.
1: After that, the tension broke, and the party went back to normal. Because up front, things were always civil, until they weren't. While all this was going on, FBI agent Bob Croner was putting a case together against Lenny Strollo.
2: There were a lot of different aspects of the case that we were trying to bring all together. shaking the tree and see what would fall.
1: Kroner had arrested Lenny back in 1988 and put him away for 14 months. Now he wanted to put him away for good, and his case was about to break wide open.
2: We started to get wiretaps. We get Lenny's home phone, and then we get microphones in Lenny's house. We spent, I think, 13 or 14 months on a wiretap. I think it was the first day we were on Lenny's telephone guy calls up and he says something to Lenny that he shouldn't have said on the telephone. And Lenny goes, Bob, did you hear that? Did you hear that, Bob? These agents had come down from Cleveland and other places where he's talking about you. <laughs> I think he'd see me in his sleep at night. I don't know. But we have to have everybody listening to these devices Making a decision is the conversation related to illegal activity. If it becomes personal in nature, you have to discontinue monitoring.
1: Croner says Estrollo knew this. And when he wanted to talk to Bernie the Jew, he would have his wife call Bernie's wife first.
2: Mary Lou Altshuler and Antoinette Strollo they begin a conversation and they wait till 30 seconds, figuring that they must have quit listening by now because it's just white and then they give the phones to the guys.
1: This is one of the actual calls recorded on the FBI wiretap. It's difficult to understand, not just because of the quality, but because of how Strollo would communicate with his people.
2: They don't talk like you and I are talking right here. They talk in code that half the time I don't think they knew what they were talking
1: about. But over time, Croner and his agents could figure out parts of what was being said.
2: Bernie Altschuler had these black drug dealers that he associated with. Quite frankly, we were surprised that they were using these drug dealers to do
1: things for them. Croner listened as Strollo spoke about Jeff Riddle, a guy he could call on to do anything.
2: Lenny would laugh because Jeff Riddle was saying he was going to be the first Black Maid mob member. That was never going to happen. They would encourage him, but laugh behind his back. There were a lot of coded conversations about Ernie Mandello. Lenny was obviously angry at Ernie. They were plotting to kill him. It becomes clear that they want Ernie out of the way. Enough for me to call Ernie to go meet with them. And it's interesting when you live in a town this small that you can pick up the phone and say, Ernie, this is Bob Croner, do you know who I am? Yeah, I know who you are. (laughs) I, I need to meet with you. You pick the place, you pick the time. I want you to be alone and I'll be alone. And we meet in the middle of this shopping center parking lot. He came and got in my car and we talked and I told him we uncovered information that he's going to be the target of a hit and that we had a moral obligation to tell him, in my opinion. First words out of his mouth, who, who's trying to kill me? I said, Ernie, I can't tell you who's trying to kill you, I'm not here to start a war. I said, now. If you'd like to cooperate with us, we can protect you. And he said, nope. Thank you. Move along.
1: Warren Willis was still working security in one of Jeff Riddle's clubs on the east side of Youngstown and he was enjoying the new lifestyle.
0: I worked indoors at night, spent the daytime chasing women and drugs. <laughs> I mean, it was glamorous, but almost living a rock star type life. You know what I'm saying?
1: Since he was arrested as a teenager, Warren had tried to stay away from doing armed robberies. But lately, that had changed.
0: Jeff Riddle, uh, he's come to me for ideas about a robbery. But you know, that's what I used to do. Truthfully, I went in with him on a couple.
1: One night, Riddle pulled Warren aside to talk about a robbery he was putting together. The Mark would be carrying a lot of money, and they would rob him at gunpoint. Riddle wanted Warren to be the driver. Some
0: stacks in it, stacks being slain for thousands, you know. He kept coming to everybody, come on, man, I need you. I finally relented.
1: On a cool summer morning in 1996, Riddle drove Warren to meet with three other guys who would be joining them on the job. They all piled into two stolen cars. Warren was behind the wheel of one of them.
0: We go over this little one-way street on the east side. Ain't no wider than about from here to the wall.
1: Warren pulled into a driveway off the street and parked, waiting for their mark to drive past.
0: They paced his route, and he took the same route every day.
1: The guys riding with Warren jumped out of the car and took up positions behind a nearby house. Down the street, the second car stopped in the middle of the road, and the driver jumped out and opened the hood, like he was having car trouble. But what he was really doing was blocking the street. Around 10.30 a.m., a long rose-pink Cadillac turned the corner. Warren gripped the steering wheel, waiting for it to pass in front of him.
0: I pulled up behind the blocky man. The guys come
1: running from behind the building. He kind of went through his
0: hands. It looked like he was surprised. I was like, what? Whoa. But I've seen the shooting and shit. I was just trying to get the hell up out of there.
1: Warren ran to the getaway car. As he passed the Cadillac, he saw a blood-splattered body inside. One of the shooters, George Wilkins, was right behind him.
0: I remember Wilkins opening the door and snatching his ring.
1: What the fuck are you grabbing this ring for? As they sped away, Wilkins showed Warren the ring. It was a gold ring. It had diamonds with
0: initials. EB.
1: After that, the gang drove to pick up a pizza and then headed back to a safe house to lay low.
0: I ain't laughing and eating and stuff. Uh, I'm sitting in the living room. I could hear the things on the scanner. That's any biodella. Looked like it was a hit. So I go, oh shit.
1: Warren confronted Jeff Riddle.
0: You led me into something I really didn't know about.
1: You duped me into this. I said, yo, take me home, man. Ernie Biondillo was on his way to his Blaine Avenue vending machine firm when he was blocked in by two cars, surrounded by gunmen,
2: and shot in the back of his head.
1: Gunmen then began pumping pumpkin balls through the Cadillac's
3: driver's side and passenger side windows. Pumpkin balls are used to hunt deer.
1: They kill quick. It didn't take long before the news reached Mark Batcho. Oh,
3: boy, Ernie. God rest his soul. I stopped working at B.J. and I couldn't bear it because it was a job Ernie got me. I says I can't come back. I can't do it. I killed my guy, and I'm not coming back to work until this is done.
1: Bacha was determined to kill the guy who killed Ernie Biandillo. So he went to a friend who could help him find out who did the job.
3: I went to Jeff Riddle, and I says, listen, if you'll go to Bernie, the Jew, and ask him if he'll please find out who killed my friend, Ernie Biendel, I will owe him a body. And Jeff looked at me, but you never knew what Jeff was thinking. Because that son of a bitch, he had eyes as black as coal and a heart twice as dark.
4: After Ernie got it, did you worry? Fuck yeah. What are you talking about? I was looking over my shoulder everywhere I went.
1: Artie Saramelli and the guys from Youngstown United Music were worried. First Joey Naples, now Ernie Biandillo. The message was clear. Get in line or die.
4: Everything came to a stop. Strollo fired me from the numbers. The element was this. Fuck you. You were with him all these years. You ain't going to come over to me. You're finished. You're done. They took it all over. We're out of job. I felt like those steel mill guys. There goes the suits. There goes the diamonds. There goes everything.
1: On the next episode of Crooked City, Congressman Jim Trafficking takes on a new cause.
0: John Demjanik was a Cleveland auto worker.
1: He's in an Israeli jail, sentenced to death. Freeing a man accused of being a Nazi war criminal. The Nazi god Ivan the Terrible, who had been responsible for the deaths of thousands of Jews. Crooked City is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Sony Music Entertainment. The show is produced by Catherine Sullivan, Alexa Burke, Olivia Briley and Zach St. Louis Ryan Swikert is our senior producer Story editing is by me, Mark Smerling and Ryan Swikert Kevin Shepard is our associate producer Scott Curtis, our production manager John Ciacatelli, our local producer in Youngstown Fact-checking by Dania Suleiman Rick Kwan did the mix Sound design by Ryan Swikert Music by Kenny Kusiak and Marmoset Our title track is Hurricane Heart Attack by The Warlocks Continue the conversation with us online by tweeting at Crooked City Pod. That's at Crooked City Pod. If you've enjoyed Crooked City, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. And thanks for listening.